0: Good morning everybody. Time for a bit of uh, warming up exercise for those of you who are near a Bible because uh, we're going to be looking at the three set readings for today. So uh, don't hold it just to yourself but pass it along the line so that everyone has got uh, a Bible um, that they can um, see when we come to the readings a little later. That's good. Well, though this is week three of Advent, it's the first week in which we've been um, taking the actual theme of Advent in the uh, message for uh, the morning. So it's worth looking at uh, what Advent actually means. It's a rather mysterious part of the church's year to me, never fully understood it, where it came from. Um, it's formally the beginning of the church year, so Happy New Year to you all. Why is that? I have no idea. And... Uh, Even more mysterious, nor does Wikipedia. It doesn't doesn't tell you anything about it. Um, But uh, maybe somebody will um, stand up and tell me that, but leave it till after the service if you wouldn't mind. But anyway, Happy New Year to you. Advent is the Latin word which means coming um, or arrival. Uh, uh, It's uh, a Latin word which uh, has its Greek equivalent of parousia. And those of you who are uh, steeped in theological knowledge will know that parousia is the word most often associated uh, with the second coming of Christ. So here we are at this season of Advent in the Christian calendar which anticipates the coming of Christ. And, And in three senses, and this is why I find it sort of a bit mysterious. First of all, remembering the physical nativity in Bethlehem then the receiving of Jesus into our own lives today and then anticipating his coming again in the, uh, uh, at the end of time. It's not known when Advent was first introduced. The, um, the first recorded reference to it was in Gaul, present-day France, where a group of monks were instructed by their leader, the the group of monks who were dedicated, uh, who had their patron saint of St. Martin, know all about him, do you? I don't. Um, And uh, they were meant to fast from St. Martin's Day, 11th of November, through till Christmas. So uh, Advent was intended to be like the Christmas equivalent of Lent, uh, preparing for Easter, preparing for a very solemn event, and they had to fast each day from November the 11th to Christmas. Then they had a short break, and they had to do the Lent for Easter as well. So they must have not had a problem of obesity in that particular (laughs) uh, group. But it seems it was uh, uh, only sporadically uh, um, uh, recognized and observed, unlike the Easter Lent, which became uh, quite well established throughout the Christian church, Um, and uh, nobody knows um, when it moved from St. Martin's Day, the 11th of November, to the 1st of December. But anyway, we now celebrate Advent for the month of December. How about the custom of the Advent candle? How historic is that? Uh, 1839, in Germany. A pastor of a church uh, uh, thought that it would be a graphic way of uh, preparing for Christmas to have an old cartwheel, a round cartwheel, around which there were twenty small candles, and then in the middle there were four candles. Okay, joke's about four candles, I know, but okay. Um, and the children were to light one candle uh, for each of the weekdays, one of the small candles, and then uh, at each Sunday they'd open, that they'd light one of the uh, bigger candles. Um, it became the tradition that you would then surround the uh, Advent candle uh, with evergreen, um, uh, not with uh, fresh flowers, evergreen, partly because of the time of year, partly to signify uh, the evergreenness of the Christian message. There we are. I don't know about the Christingle and the orange, but that is also part of Advent as well. It's a bit of a mixture and I must say it's a bit of a human construct. It's not biblical in that sense but it has a value because it allows us in the church's year uh, to think back to one of the most important things which is looking forward because Advent is all about looking forward or putting another way, setting our sights on something which has yet to happen because setting goals Having aspirations is what separates humanity from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom lives in a cycle of finding food, having food, and moving on to the next effort to find food. You don't find any animals that have strategic objectives or uh, resolutions for the next year. And we're different from that. And it's important because (coughs) setting goals, (coughs) having aspirations that drive us, is one of the characteristics that distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. In the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think about where your treasure is, and that will determine the decisions and the choices that you make from day to day. There are different levels of longing. There is, as I say, there's the animal kingdom. If you asked our cat Pandora what her aspirations were, it was to have the next meal, even if she's only had the last meal about five minutes ago. That's it for her. Then there's a second level, which is what you might call a material longing, and that's looking forward to acquiring the things that I want. And when I have got those things that I want, then I shall be satisfied That's the aspiration that you have. And so therefore, uh, the idea of taking the waiting out of wanting is God-given to such people because they can actually get on with life, but only to discover that there's something else that they want. Instant gratification only leads to needing more in order to satisfy the longing then you might say level three is the security longing. So uh, it's not just about the instant things, but it's about an end to your life which is fulfilling. And for some people, their aspiration is to live a life that adds adds value to their own sense of worth. Um, They may be at a stage in life where their only aspiration is to live until they die Being comfortable, being healthy, being happy. And then there's the fourth level of longing, which is the kingdom longing. This is the gold standard. It's longing for things that are more enduring even than our life alone. (coughs) You might call this (coughs) the kingdom of God level. Here, these very moving words from Hebrews chapter 11, which comes after Uh, the writer of Hebrews, has talked about all the uh, the saints that had gone before, which had given inspiration to the church as it was then. He says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, uh, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So the kingdom longing is what we are to aspire to. Of course, everybody has other elements of waiting and uh, longing. I'm sure the greatest strategic thinkers still uh, have an aspiration that they'll have something nice to eat at tea time. So we are not expected to only be concerned about the life beyond, but we are called to have that as one of our main aspirations. And what's the balance in your own life? Is it what will happen in the next day, in the next week, the next year, or the next span of your lifetime? That's the challenge. Where is my treasure? What goal determines the choices that I make here and now? I had to face up to this question last week. Uh, Last Sunday, I collected some uh, leaflets uh, to do uh, with the carol service and the the, uh, Christmas services that I had to deliver. And I also had a certain number of um, leaflets which were to do with an event that took place uh, on Thursday. And uh, you'll be glad to know I have managed to deliver both sets. But it did cause me to think, you know, am I more keen about letting people know uh, what the political party that I support uh, is doing? Or am I more keen that people are introduced to that which will be beyond this election, beyond life itself, So that was the challenge to me and I I was preparing this before I knew the outcome of uh, Thursday but it did cause me to think and let's now look through the three passages which are set in the lectionary for the year uh, uh, and see what they have to say about waiting and longing and keep in mind that question to yourself where is my treasure? What would really make me feel fulfilled? And it's a challenge uh, but it's a challenge that uh, can have a good outcome if we're prepared to face up to it. So Bob's going to do the readings uh, from the seat. We're not going to have him up and down like the fiddler's elbow, in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, uh, just, uh, but uh, he's going to give you uh, the page number um, and then he's going to read that. So open it up because we're going to see what does this passage have to say about waiting and longing and uh, how we might view the future. Bob, would you read Isaiah chapter 12, please?
1: Okay, you'll find that on page 698 in the Church Bibles. And it's from Isaiah chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. For he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you.
0: What's the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy is to tell us about things that are going to happen that we can't anticipate from just seeing the world around us. And Isaiah was writing at a time when there was no prospect of there being a good outcome for the people of Israel. Um, uh, Isaiah chapter 12 comes, you may not know this, comes after chapter 11. Um, I did a theology degree, so I know about these things. (laughs) Um, But if you read chapter 11, this is where it says, a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. It's prophesying a future which is perfect. It says the lion, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. There'll be no more disunity, there'll be no more fighting. It'll be a perfect world. And then it says in chapter 12, in that day, in other words, when that's happened, then you'll look back And you'll say, how wonderful it was. Now the question for me is, do I anticipate the things that are coming and allow those things that are prophesied to determine what my feelings are now and my outlook now? Do I live in the confidence that this will be the outcome? Do I spoil the present by worrying as if God would allow anything other than the best for me. So no matter what the current circumstances and the trials and the disappointments, is my hope set on something which I cannot yet see? That's the purpose, to inspire and to instruct. Do you believe that whatever the personal circumstances that you're in now, that God Will be victorious. Not necessarily in your lifetime. That was the point from Hebrews. Even these people who died waiting for Jesus didn't see Jesus, but they still had the hope because they knew that in eternity there was going to be a fulfillment, which was uh, God on the throne. Let's look at now. Uh, so ask that question of yourselves. Do you look back? If you. Uh, sorry. Ask yourself, how do you want to look back on how you dealt with the uncertainty of today when the issue reaches its conclusion? Will it be with satisfaction that you did hold the faith, that you did believe that good would come, or with regret that you wasted so much time worrying unnecessarily? Okay, shall we have our second reading, which is from Luke chapter 3?
1: And you'll find that on page 1029. Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruits, In keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Ah, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, «Anyone who has two shirts should share one with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, teacher, they said. What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, «And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exalted the people and proclaimed the good news to them.
0: I wonder if Luke had a sense of humour when he when he wrote that he thought, "You brood of vipers, there's going to be burning and fire." And with this good news, he preached the gospel. John the Baptist, who is the uh, the key character for Advent three, uh, was a um, a central character in the preparation for Jesus. What can we learn from him about waiting and wanting? Well, he was renowned for not getting the full picture. We know that from Matthew's gospel, when he was in prison having preached this message, uh, uh, he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, you know, are you the Messiah or not? Uh, The fact that he got things a little bit distorted maybe and had a wrong emphasis didn't stand in the way of him responding to God's call. And there's good evidence that for at least a decade after the death of Jesus, after the crucifixion, John the Baptist was more famous than Jesus. There's a passage in Acts uh, where St. Paul is uh, in Turkey and he is um, preaching to people who had been warmed to the idea of the gospel. Um, uh, And he said, have you heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, but we've heard of John's baptism. So he was a very famous character. I'm sure that if the Old Testament went up as far as John the Baptist, he would be along there with people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and the others. But he takes a a second place because he came so immediately before the one who had to take first place. And yet, though he was famous, though he was capable of making a big reputation for himself... He knew his place, and he said that the one who comes after me is one whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie. And his message to the crowd echoed that. He said, don't live life now as though there's no one to protect your own interests other than you alone. Instead, be prepared to take actions which appear to be risky were it not for the fact that God is your protector and your provider. So he says to the soldiers, don't use the physical force that you've got and the power of the law to abuse uh, other people. He said to the tax collectors, only collect what your job requires of you. Don't put stuff aside for yourself. Take risks. Why? Because God will look after you. And so there's a question for me here from this passage, Is my longing for the coming of Jesus' kingdom powerful enough to allow me to hang light on the things that I possess and to give to others in need in the knowledge that in the fullness of time God will look after me. I don't need to do that job for him myself. And we come to our last passage where uh, we've got Philippians chapter 4 and Bob's going to read that again to us.
1: You'll find that on page 1180 in the church Bibles. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
0: So here we come to that theme of joy, uh, which is in uh, our Philippians reading. I mean, rejoice in the Lord always is wonderful, and we sing it, and uh, it sounds great, but it's extraordinarily difficult to make a reality of it. Did your party do well in the last election? Rejoice. Did your party do very badly? Rejoice. Are you fit and healthy? Rejoice. Are you suffering in some way? Rejoice. Are you financially secure? Rejoice. Are you on your uppers? Rejoice how can all these things cause us to rejoice? The answer is the circumstances in which we are are simply the context in which God will uh, fulfill his love for us. And they may be hard circumstances. We don't thank God for the fact that the circumstances are good and blame him that the circumstances are bad. We thank God because we are not under the circumstances. Circumstances literally means the things that surround us. The things that surround us are simply the context in which God is going to be a blessing to us. So ask yourself, is your longing for God's kingdom such that getting the best circumstances for yourself is not the one and only thing that motivates you? God works in the circumstances. He doesn't work by changing the circumstances always. Well, we thought a lot this week about our nation, uh, of which we are citizens. And it's good for us as Christians, and we're drawing to a conclusion here now, it's good for us as Christians to remember that we all have dual nationality. And we're not concerned simply with the next five years, or the future of our nation, Great Britain, because we are also citizens of heaven. Paul reminds us of this in chapter three of his letters to the Philippians. First, he contrasts our outlook with those who have only this life to be concerned with. He says of them, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. In other words, just meeting their human needs. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the waiting really means for us to wait for the Lord Jesus Christ and not to wait for a change in our circumstances. Amen.